Are you underutilizing one of the most powerful restaurant marketing tools on the planet? What do 92 million monthly Yelp searchers see when they land on your page? Is your content accurate and attention grabbing? Are you using every conversion tool possible to set yourself apart? Yelp is here to help. Go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to sign up for a one-on-one with a specialist that will review your Yelp page and share tips to help you stand out. Again, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash profile to supercharge your Yelp page today. Now here we go. You don't think about it, but these people are bringing the restaurant to life. It's not just generous food. It's all those beautiful things. They're bringing the restaurant to life. And we want to honor that. It's not about what's on the plate. It's about the bigger picture of what's under the plate. What's the vessel that we're serving on. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators. Served up on the house. Hey, it's Josh. I'm starting a new case study group this month and I'm looking for a few specific people. So, if you're a restaurant owner or operator that's currently doing $50,000 per month in sales, have the desire and the bandwidth to increase your sales by 10 to 20% and have two to three hours per week to work on these strategies, I would love to help you scale up by Christmas. Go to restaurantcasestudy.com and sign up to learn more. Again, that's restaurantcasestudy.com. There's a new breed of restaurateur out there and it's pretty exciting to see. A younger generation bringing the best of the past together with a new vision for the future. Today we chat with Chicago power couple Jenner, Tomaska, and Katrina Bravo in the weeks before the opening of their new restaurant. These two cut their teeth in some of the best restaurants in the country and today they're sharing the lessons from the past that helped them create the future of fine dining. I had just left MK to kind of pursue more and through a mutual relationship of Eric Williams, who is a close dear friend and mentor, introduced me to Dave Barron, who is the executive chef at Alinea and then moved on to Next as it opened and kind of through that relationship of Eric kind of pushing me out into the world and introducing me to the right people to kind of further my career is kind of how I started there. And, you know, I started from the bottom eight years later or six years later, whatever the timeline was, worked my way up to the executive chef position. It was a life-changing career move. It was exactly what I was looking for. Just the amount of information and the platform that those guys have is pretty phenomenal. I'm really good at cooking. And I don't say that out of arrogance, but the mechanical side of cooking. One thing I was lacking was kind of the creative side of food, right? And Katrina will speak to more of this. But that was one thing that I had to kind of push myself to learn. And the Alinea group in particular is, you know, synonymous for this, right? They're pushing boundaries, you know, from the experience side of it or flavors, X, Y, Z, or what the food looks like to making things flow, right? That's what they're known for. So going into a place like that is pretty intimidating, regardless of the skill sets you kind of have. But with working so closely with Dave, that is one thing I'm really thankful for. I turned into his like sounding board involving the creative process. And what I enjoyed most, and I think what worked well, because I think we did work well together in the creative field, is when you kind of 
learn things and grow and become more informed on cuisine or whatever your skills are, whatever your craft is, it's always great to have a new person enter that field and re-ask those questions and re-explore whatever your craft is, right? Because it basically breaks you out of your mold of your comfort of your go-tos. Yeah, it's the monotony of it, right? It tears that down and you almost get to re-explore it again together with someone and teach them. And I was the one who's learning. In turn, I feel like I became a good sounding board because I was asking the same questions that he was asking when he first started his cooking, right? Or as he progressed. So that probably for me was the biggest takeaway from the whole experience, right? I have work ethic, I've worked drive. I'm not going to say I wouldn't be in the same place as I am right now if I hadn't worked there, but those aren't the things that instilled me. It's a very challenging place to work at because of the long hours. But the one thing that I'm so thankful for is that kind of creative push to do what you're not comfortable with doing, right? I didn't want to go talk to people. I didn't want to come up with these weird, obscured thoughts to creating something. I wanted to cook because it's what I was comfortable doing, right? And getting outside that comfort zone was probably the biggest takeaway for me. What about the business of running a restaurant in terms of scope? Because Alinea makes great food in an industry where a lot of people make great food and go out of business, but they run a great business. And in terms of your education there and Katrina, your education there, in terms of running the actual restaurant, what were the lessons that you learned? What are they doing exceptionally well that you were able to internalize and bring into your own restaurant venture? So they're really good at letting the chef be the chef and be the creative and organize those things, giving you the information and tools to allow you to manage something. So the back end that's not normally given the spotlight that's needed, the business team that they have that's not always spotlighted is really the driving force to allow you to do what you want to do or what Grant was good at or what the chefs are good at or the creative side of things are good at. You know, Nick said to me one time, the food doesn't matter. You know, he's right. And to a sense of where there's so much more to running a business than just the food. Yes, the food and the service and whatever has to be exceptional and to reach a large group of people and to continue to do what you want to do. But it's not just showing up and cooking. It's not enough. Organization, costing, things like that. But those were always things I like to do. They run it like a tech company, right? And they allow their creatives to be creatives and support them so they can. I mean, I was not there for very long and most of my marketing career came from elsewhere, but I just think they have a lot of standards. And I think that that's something, I think Grant brought that from TFL and from Thomas. And I think that that was Dave's standard. And so then I'm sure that's Dave's standard over at Dialogue or was at Dialogue and now at Pastor Lee and so on and so forth. And whatever chef leaves that group has that in common and has those practices in common. And they're something I watch an evolution of. And I'm watching now as we're opening our restaurant, it is, we do lean on like, what is that standard? And how are we going to carry that standard through? That's something that for me, I'm very grateful for. Taking the plunge into fine dining isn't an easy decision to make, especially if you've spent a fair amount of time in it. I always think about the phrase, cater to the masses, live with the classes, cater to the classes, live with the masses. Why fine dining, especially post-pandemic? So I love cooking. It doesn't matter if it's fine dining. It doesn't matter if it's flipping burgers. I've worked at Dairy Queen. I've worked at steakhouses. I've worked, you name it, I've done it. There's no shame in it for me 
when it's like this higher calling to fine dining versus just a la carte restaurants or whatever it is, fast food. I was most comfortable with that business model as we just kind of spoke to because I've been in it so long and I've been organizing it and refining it and managing it. And for a first venture, that seemed the least risk involved, if that makes sense. This is a gamble at some point and we're hedging our bets, right? As much as we can. And so that was probably the first fold of why fine dining right away. You know, Katrina and I have really started to discuss what we wanted to do, what kind of place we wanted to create. And I think a lot of our ethos and what we believe in started to kind of surface. And it's why we wanted to open our own place because we had our own thoughts and our own passion and what we deemed to be most important, right? And we found that to work in, you know, starting, yeah, and the starting to yeah. work in this model. It was the most doable in this model in terms of flexibility and creativity or the integration of others. And also, I think monetarily, like if we are able to be six, there's just a little bit more cash flow in this. And that gives us more of the ability to do larger projects and to help other organizations or grow our philanthropic goals are and kind of lend to that. And I think that was something that made sense for sure. From a marketing perspective, do you think that fine dining is probably the safest bet in that it is the highest level of experience in dining? I think just going and sitting a butt in a table and chatting with a server is going to fulfill something for somebody, (laughs) to be honest with you. I just think not being at home, not looking at your spouses, not cleaning up after yourself and being outside with energy from others right now, from any perspective, inclusive of marketing in the marketing perspective is what people need. I saw someone tweet the other day, they were at their favorite hole in the wall bar or there was on Instagram and they took a photo and they said, it's been too long. Hole in the wall bar that they used to frequent all the time after whatever service that they were running. Like that is special right now. So if anything, I think the playing field is a little bit even right now because we'll get that same excitement from just going to your normal mom and pop because it feels good and not having to wear a mask and being able to see people's faces. I think right now everyone's pretty even and equal because you're getting joy from that no matter where you're going. Let's talk about the actual individual initiatives. Let's start with the uh, strategic partnerships. You guys are working with local artists in the area, right? In what capacity and what does that look like? We literally want to use Esme as a gallery, as a platform to project others. Mm -hmm. And you can take that on the very literal sense of culinary arts. So we bring in the artists, musicians, you name it. Or on the other sense of it, where it would be any type of philanthropic, community-driven platform programming and spotlight them. So we've worked closely with Paul Octavius, who's a local Chicago photographer, videographer, artist. He did some media content for us. I worked with him in the past. He's a phenomenal guy, very creative, loves food. He has Black Archivist that raises money to get cameras. Camera and and, camera equipment into the the hands hands of people of color. And so just an all-around amazing human, right? So we invite him in, work together through a menu, creatively together, showcase his art, the people he's working with art, and then raise a portion of those that ticket price. And it goes back to him and his foundation. It's pushing that initiative forward. And then on the not so literal sense, I've done a, a bit of youth programming. It was in Pilsen. It's called Kitchen Possible. It's a youth program for inner city kids that kind of teaches life lessons, life skills, critical thinking, 
things that I'm looking for in the people I hire, right? And it's done in a kitchen, but it's just done in this fun way. And we would bring them in, do some lessons with the kids, sit down, they write the menu, and we do an Esme twist on it and invite them and their parents back and they get to see what they did. And, and it's about giving access to a, a demo that doesn't normally have it in that area and pushing that forward. Yeah. And the prices would be raised on that experience, right? It's a quarterly experience. So then that money would go, that change in ticket price would go back to Kitchen Possible and help further whatever they're doing. And it's been really interesting. Some of our creative partners, like people who are ceramists, people who are hearing this are now like one Aaron from Fractured Goods is actually was like, well, that's really cool. And like, technically you're using all my plateware. So it's, I don't think he saw it as a quarterly thing because he's making us all these things. And he's like, well, how can I give back? And he's now donating his time. Just know that if you're eating off those plates or you're drinking Tia Barrett, who's a beverage manager, you're drinking that glass of rosé, it's going back to something. Like your money is not just paying, which is also really important. It's not just paying for all of our salaries, which that should be humbling enough, but you're also paying for programming. And so people can keep their doors open. During the pandemic, we didn't have a brick and mortar place. Like our hands were tied behind our backs. I was like, I wish I had a place to say, everyone meet at the restaurant at 1.30. I've got four different people here, four laptops. We're going to sign everybody up for unemployment. It'll be okay. We'll figure this out. We didn't have that. And it's just not in my nature to sit around. And it felt very debilitating. And I thought, if God forbid ever, ever anything like this happened again, I want to be able to be there for people, which you saw a lot of. But I think that there's more to this, more to what's happening than just for us, than just the food, because we are working with local artists who and then also, guess what? I'm going to tell everybody about Aaron and I'm going to put him on our website and I'm going to shout him out and I'm going to make sure he's in all of our press because he's outstanding. And I'm going to say the same thing about all of our, these partners and hopefully that drives more business to them. <laughs> so it's just how can we push people and how can we do right by our team? And then also those who you don't think about it, but these people are bringing the restaurant to life. It's not just generous food. It's all those beautiful yeah. things. They're bringing the restaurant to life. And we want to honor that. To see someone work through their creative process in a different field is very special. And then I like to apply that to what I do, right? And so I think that, again, just kind of leads to Esme. It's not about what's on the plate. It's about the bigger picture of what's under the plate. What's the vessel that we're serving on? Who's the artist that's hanging on the wall? The champagne tower that's going to be in the front of the restaurant? Who designed that? Oh, it's very Chicago, Chicago art community. And it just kind of encompasses that whole creative process as well. Well, I think you bring up a really good point. And it was something, I mean, I've spent 20 years in this industry and there were a lot of decisions that I made along the way that I didn't even think twice about. I didn't think of it as a political statement or a statement about the things that I value in this world. And one of the things that I think came out of the pandemic and the social unrest that we saw is every choice we make matters. And Everything that we decide to do and lets people know what we believe in, what we value, what we prioritize. And one of the things that I thought was so cool is that you decided to use your wine list as a mechanism for change. Yeah, I feel like breaking the norm of kind of this preconceived notion of what fine dining is or what a price point makes a place or it, it defines you, right? We wanted to kind of rethink that as well. And Tia, 
who's done a fantastic job, who's our beverage manager, like Katrina mentioned, her aligns with what we're trying to do, She's right? She was very excited to tell her story and connect with people and let her priorities and what she believes in yeah. shine. So it's 75 to 85% of our wine list is going to be featuring whether it's the brand or the purveyor or the vineyard or what have you, or the house that it's women, people of color, or giving back to a philanthropic cause. And it just aligns with what we want to do. It doesn't need to be first growth Bordeaux to be fine dining. It's not that we're looking for the quote unquote highest rated Bordeaux. It's the standard and the attention to detail is finding a wine that's going to be delicious. And then it's spotlighting people that need to be spotlighted, right? That's the standard. It's just, it's just aligning your priorities and taking that attention to detail and aligning it with what you kind of believe in. Something you said that I want to touch on, because I think we're in this very interesting transitional phase in the fine dining tier with Danny Meyer and what he began doing. I think it really changed the dynamic from white tablecloth to something slightly more casual, created this upscale casual environment, created a whole new niche. And I know that your restaurant actually skews a bit more casual than the, the traditional stuffy fine dining. And did you do that because that meets your aesthetic? Or do you believe that that is the trend of what fine dining looks like in the future? I truly believe that's where this is going. I don't know who I told this the other day. I don't mm -hmm. like the word fine dining. Put yourself into a corner and gives your consumer, your guest, a preconceived notion of what to expect. It's pretentious. And that most certainly is not what we're trying to do. We're trying to do the opposite. We're trying to broaden the scope and of reach of people by inviting the not norm demographic in and highlighting people that don't necessarily get spotlighted in this white tablecloth setting. So I 100% agree with where that's going. Again, I don't like the word casual either because that reminds me of sandals and swim trunks, mm -hmm. right? And that's not exactly what we want either, I guess. What we want people to do is feel comfortable, excited, and not feel like they're out of place. Katrina mentioned that she was scared at the French Laundry. We don't want people to be scared. And I relate it to like a concert, like just because your concert ticket goes up, it doesn't make the music better. I think that's the kind of way food is going, right? It's fun. It's supposed to be interactive and Lazy, an experience. Bear, Lazy Bear was actually one of the first places that I was like, oh, what are they doing here? This is wild. Like, I remember walking in. We didn't even get to dine. They just said, come by and like have a cocktail. And I thought, this is wild. Like, I'm partnering with people yeah, I don't know. It's, 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 a, it's a tasting menu. And yeah. You didn't feel out of place. It was inviting it was and warm. So and it was so fun. And I didn't yeah. even get to dine. I was just, yeah. and then we got to stay upstairs. And I don't know if you've ever been there, but it's, you enter up top and you kind of mingle and then you get taken downstairs to one huge communal table. And the chefs are all presenting the food and talking and like, you're invited to go up to the kitchen, up to the past. I was like, this is freaking wild. And I thought and that was very immersive. I think that's the right word. It was come as you are. Like you could feel comfortable showing whatever side of yourself you want to show there, but also like it was just so immersive and different. And I certainly hope that's the route we're going where it's okay to walk up to the pass and ask the chef a question. I could not believe it. I was like, and this was to be fair, 
like five, six years ago. I don't even remember how long ago it was. And I was just like, this is so cool. <laughs> like, wow, this is really cool. I was like, I wish we had more places like this. And we didn't even get to dine. I'm sure if I had dined and gone through the actual experience, this was just me observing. It would have been more fun. To take it to a personal place, my career has always been my priority. And when I met my wife, it wasn't that she became my priority. It's that the priority of her life became my career as well. And we maintained that trajectory for half a decade until I had a child. And that just realigned my perspective entirely. And it's not that I didn't care about the restaurants or the bars. I just didn't care about it in the same way. And balance became a focus in a way that it had never before. Because eventually, and Lord knows it, it took some time, but I figured out that in not being in my child's life, in the way that I thought that she deserved to have me in her life. It wasn't that she lost out. It's that I lost out. And it was this huge revelatory thing that actually came out right around the beginning of the pandemic. And you guys are new parents. And so there's just this massive difference between the day before that child is born and then the day that you're walking out and then you're, they're actually going to let me leave with this thing. Oh my God. I'm totally unprepared for this moment. No matter how much you prepare. And so I'm curious to know how did it change? Because I mean, you're opening a new business that takes up a ton of bandwidth. And yet still there's this human being in front of you that needs you very much. But that's okay because hopefully they get to experience and go through what we just did because I'm couldn't be happier. Yeah. Interesting what you said about you and your wife. And I think that actually really sums up Jenner and I's relationship. Like my goals and my focus became his were it's to support him. I've always been his support. I've always been the person who said, yeah, let's do it. And I had a really very, very rough pregnancy and I had a lot of issues going on, but that child was born and I love him. (laughs) The restaurant is great, but nothing nothing comes before my child. Like, I don't think I felt like that the first day he was laid in my arms. I don't. I think it's something that you grow in love. The more their little personalities come out, the more that you get to know them. I'll be singing a whole different tune after a year and two years and so on and so forth. But like, yeah, the shift is and now I think for me, I am really especially since we're so close to the opening and that's all Jenner's, you know, it's 24 seven, 24 seven. And I'm like, no, it's not slow down. You know, we came from both came from MK restaurant with the Michael Cornick and Eric Williams. And so for us, you learn from your parents essentially, right? And culinarily speaking, MK, that was our home and those were our parents and the Cornicks were our parents and Eric was our parent and we learned from them. And these are people that with one of the servers fell down the stairs and hurt himself quite, it was pretty bad when I had first started there and they canceled their new year's party, the annual party for all of the team. They took all of that money. They called all of the, his regulars, nice, wealthy regulars, told them what had happened. And we raised money. And then they said, we're not throwing this party. We need to go help this person. I don't know. And then you have Eric Williams, who goes and feeds the needy. And we would work events and be midnight and we're tired and we've worked X amount of hours. And we'd go to the restaurant to get the rest of the overages, overages from the event. And we're going to go feed some homeless people tonight. Like, And you're coming with us. You are all coming. You're still on the clock. Let's go. Like, it's something that we were taught. And I want to teach that to my son because we were so fortunate to be served these lessons, to see them, to be a part of them, to be taught them. And I think having a child for us and for me right now is like, I really want him to be able to say the same thing I'm saying 
about Eric and Michael and Lisa in the same facet. Like, I, I don't know any other way because this is how I was taught. Like, we always did these things. People don't always do these things. We owe a lot to those individuals, that, you know, and I want to be able to instill that in him. It's really, really important that he sees it. So I think that it's been life changing all around, <laughs> you know. Yeah. As you kind of progress in your career and your priorities shift, right? And they shift with these kind of really important life moments, right? I was in my early 20s. I want to be the best chef in the world. And as you kind of mature, develop your priority shift, right? You have a family, a wife, kids, dog, whatever it is, going through the ranks at next. And it's like someone's dog died. And I was like, you're going to take a day off? Your dog died? I have a dog now. I mean, I've had a dog for a while, but if there's something happened to Nelly, I wouldn't show up for work for a week. <laughs> it's just these things take time to learn, you mature, you grow. And I guess the, the biggest point is like, it brings you back home to what was important at MK and these lessons that you learned from with these people. And again, back to that conversation of fine dining and refinement and standard, it was fine dining. MK was fine yeah. dining, right? MK held the standard. And at times you just don't realize that it's being placed in important things and important parts of the business that mm -hmm. on the top of the water just doesn't looks like it's being thrown to the wayside. We could make the food so much better when they chose not to focus 150% on the just the food, but there was other important things. Wow. And then the food was great and good enough to keep the standard in other places that could have been easily just dismissed. And getting married opens your eyes and having this child. And it's this kind of this grouping of life lessons have kind of brought us to this place. And, yeah. and opening a restaurant, it's a lot of pressure. It's a responsibility now. It's not just us and our kid. And it's all very humbling. We're responsible for these individuals' income and for their well-being and for their life balance. And it's a lot. It's a lot. And it's very humbling. And it's just like, not only do I want to teach my child these things, but like, I need to make sure that we're doing right by these individuals who are coming to support us in coming to work with us. Like they're taking a chance on us. That's how I see it. The other day I was like, I cannot believe these people have signed up to help us because my God, this seems crazy. And I see it as they're taking a chance on us. And like, I need to repay that back to them. Like I need to make sure that the business is successful for them, that we're making a lot, a lot of money so that they can make a lot of money and so that their families are in a place of comfort. No matter what you're working, if you're in this industry and you have family, they're without you. And what I want is to be able to, and I think what we both want is to be able to do right by these people. It's an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. There are thousands of restaurant owners and operators listening. Do you have any advice or words of encouragement you'd like to offer? Just do what feels right and be a good person. If we had stopped every time something came up, we wouldn't be here. It's hard. It's a lot of work. But if you're a person of integrity and you're a good person, keep going. There's going to be a lot of moments where you're going to want to stop, but you can do it. There's going to be a lot of people saying no to you. But if you feel strongly in your heart that this is what you want, do it. Keep going. Don't listen to them. Just keep doing you. I think one of the hardest things the industry is going through is, is staffing right now. And to be honest with you, I think if this is for the last 10 years is maybe it's because when I've kind of entered management, it was when I saw it. I feel like the most important thing when it comes to this kind of dialogue that needs to happen between restaurant 
owner, operator, hourly employee, upper management, lower management, whatever these just dynamics that seem to be at odds, whether it be they're not paying hourly employees enough, and then the vice versa of owners saying everyone's on unemployment, no one wants to go back to work, right? It's this very two polar opposite opinions. And unfortunately, like the rest of the world and everything else, it's somewhere in the middle where this lands, right? And that's where it needs to be. And I feel like transparency is always a thing that's lacking, whether it be financially, educational, and no one wants to take the extra minute to have that dialogue to explain why someone gets paid the way they get paid, what the bottom line really looks like. And it's on both sides of the coin, right? You take the owner side and say that about the hourly employees that they're not deserving or whatever it is. And the hourly employees say, this guy's never here and he's rich when this conversation needs to be had and met in the middle and this kind of general understanding. Does the hourly minimum wage need to be higher? Of course. Do people need to have a living wage? Of course. Are all the owners terrible humans and they don't want to pay their employees? No. Are there some terrible owners? I'm sure. Just like I'm sure there's some people who don't want to go back to work for particular reasons, but that's not everyone. It's impossible, right? And I feel like the lack of transparency and education is something that's worth the time and investment. Employees are assets, it's not a commodity. They're not just warm bodies. And taking that step further into the education process of how to run a business is why I feel like I've been successful in this kind of hard time of employment because there's demand. It's pretty evident that people want to go out and eat if they feel safe. That's Jenner Tomaska and Katrina Bravo. For more on their new restaurant, go to esmechicago.com. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes, or check out our other content, go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.